welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I am Justin, and as always, I am joined by... Certainly Beth. Paul and Sam. Balner Guy Suyir Caleb. <laughs> was that backwards? Uh, no, that was uh, Mandoa, according to LingoJam.com, putting a lot of faith in you guys today. <laughs> Big ups to Lingo Jam. Big ups to ChristianAnswers.net. Uh, yeah, I should check them to see what, what other languages would be most Christian for me to use. I never went with Aramaic. And shout outs to Simple Flips. Oh, Simple Flips. <laughs> if you're out there listening, you know, I ch- pounded my chest. You can't really hear it, but I did. I heard something. It sounded like a click, though, so now I'm worried about your chest. <laughs> I'm actually a skeleton. Ah, uh, so. makes sense. So yeah, we're in fine form here today. <laughs> <laughs> Peak mental and physical condition across the board. In case you were worried about the end of this book throwing us completely off the rails. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll do that for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah here we are in uh, the Sanderlanch, the part of the book, on Always Another Podcast, the podcast. Don't get those two mixed up. i really like the Sandal Lynch podcast. You guys are awesome too. Yeah. I don't listen to you because there's spoilers on your podcast, but I imagine you're great. <laughs> yeah, we uh today's episode we are beginning part five, our final part of the Mistborn Era One trilogy, uh, with Hero of Ages chapters fifty nine through sixty six. And uh some events have transpired here. We, we've got uh, we've got some excitement. Sure oh boy. are. Every time you bring up that this is like the conclusion of the trilogy, it's kind of like it doesn't throw me for a loop, but it's just like a good reminder because we there's enough book left that I'm like, yeah, I could see this finishing up the book, but remembering that it's supposed to be like, no, this is like the end to these characters' entire mm-hmm. storylines. Like, there's not going to be another. I mean, I, unless they all get special Lord Ruler powers. There's not going to be another Vin book or another Elland book after this, but who knows? Anyways, um, yeah, I'm just still have quite a few questions posed by the first two volumes to be answered, and I've been promised <laughs> that they will be. All, All of your them. questions, yeah. All of them. All the questions. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we should probably just get right into things because it is, uh, it's definitely an exciting one here. With uh, we we've got the the chapter count is definitely high for these last couple of of sections, uh, so we'll we'll take a look at what we got. Let's go. We're beginning our our section, uh, chapter fifty nine with our epigraph, uh, jumping to a bit of an unusual place, coming off of the the excitement of uh, the end of uh, the end of the Urto storyline last point. Uh, we're going to talk about human, the Coloss, and uh, just kind of the Coloss in general. And uh, yeah, there there is uh, one more part for him to play that we will we will be getting to. Mm-hmm. Some commentary on his struggle to Detroit become human. <laughs> yeah, I think you mean human, the human, Justin. Pretty insensitive. <laughs> he says he's a human. I'll take you know, self-identifying as human. All right. But yeah, death, death flag. Nice little death flag. 
We all know Brandon respects those de- death flags. <laughs> yeah, every time I thought it was obvious a character was about to die, they did. That There's no exception to that. Uh, we're batting a thousand in our death predictions. <laughs> Especially with this chapter and given what we thought happened last chapter. Even then, we're doing amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, definitely some things that were not remarked on last time that we're gonna we're gonna get into here we're gonna get into it yeah we're gonna get into it i think our epigraph writer has finally caught epigraph writer syndrome which is that you're not allowed to give any useful information like they've been giving us so much concrete stuff all this time and then right at the end it's like there was another part for human to play not large but important but i'm not gonna tell you what it is tell I, I think they've been flitting back and forth with it because I do remember it being slightly, not annoying, but like, yeah, you know, he managed to spike Yeoman and he managed to spike several other people too. Anyways, the Coloss, it's like, <laughs> you just know who else is, yeah. I, I, want, I want them listed alphabetically. All right, not Yeoman, uh, Penrod, sorry, that's what I was thinking. Did not spike Yeoman, we find out this chapter, which is mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, so we will have to see where... Uh where that all shakes out as we get through our chapters. Uh, but starting the section itself, uh, we're back with Tensoon, which is good to see. Uh, we're back with the city of Rato, which is uh, a, little, a little unusual to see from where we... We did kind of conclude a story there last time, uh, but this world has not quite yet ended, uh, and this is where Tensoon thought that he needed to be, so here we are again. Yeah, it's a little similar. You know, it's not as like as much of a, uh, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, we immediately get answers. Um, but it's very similar to um, Vin gets trapped in a cellar with her brother. And then like two pages later, it wasn't actually a brother. It was it, That's not actually what was happening. Um, <laughs> it is interesting to go straight from Spook's big heroic moments to Tensoon just walking around going, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I do love Tensoon's reaction, though, of damn, Vin. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Great job, Vin. It's not doing well. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But yeah, uh, he is is taking a look at the city. Uh, we find that uh, maybe a third of the city did actually burn down. Uh, but overall, considering the disaster it was heading to, yeah, Spook saved a, a good chunk of the city, uh, as did you know the rest of the the crew there but we were with spook in the last few seconds of the last section so they defeated the fire good job spook they're going through all the smoke and such and literally fire (laughs) the uh the commentary of they don't see losing a third of the city as a disaster they see saving two-thirds of it as a miracle honestly probably a pretty healthy mindset to have given that the end of the world appears to be upon us Mm. (laughs) (laughs) gotta take the victories you can i guess uh, we then have a, a brief moment to to have a bit of a funny scene, uh, as Tensoon is of course still a, a dog, uh, and uh, one of the one of the guards tries to chase him off, and Tensoon just talks to him. <laughs> I belong to no man. I like that. I believe it was one of your theories, Caleb, last episode that was like Tensoon will get to Erto and will wear Kelsier's bones again. And on page 550, Tensoon looks at your theory and thinks about getting Kelsier's bones and then goes, 
nah <laughs> just starts mean. talking to people that was that was sam's theory because i had a different ah. theory and i'm sad my theory also didn't happen yeah. <laughs> my apologies. we'll get to we'll get to it in a second i read the wrong column on the spreadsheet it's so organized i'm gonna be <laughs> so annoyed if if fucking if he never uses the bones of kelsier again <laughs> he appears before two guards for 30 seconds then it's like that's it i'll carry the bones with me anyway there's got to be something important that happens right it, instead of just like hey guards of kelsier talk to me <laughs> yeah. so the uh the first uh member of the crew who tensoon does make contact with is breeze uh who tensoon says looks exactly the same as uh back in the day in luthadel He's also sitting in a throne-like chair. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that not just a throne? <laughs> I think it might be the uh, the actual implication of the the station. Then, like, I could make a real fancy chair in my house, but it is not, in <laughs> fact, a throne. All right. But uh, yeah, Tensoon has uh, a message that he needs to deliver, and. Breeze makes the very sensible conclusion that, well, you're you're in the wrong place to deliver the message to Vin, but let's go get Sazed, because he will want to hear this and he should know what to do. We also have the kind of fun reveals of like one by one people figuring out like, oh, that's what the Wolfhound's deal was, um, because that was never actually like public information to the rest mm -hmm. of the crew. Um, the phrasing of, of Breeze saying, were you always a Contra or did you eat the bones of Vin's Hound recently? is a really funny one because I know what he's asking. But the question, were you always a Contra? No matter what, the answer is yes from the Contra's perspective. <laughs> right. Tensoon was, in fact, always a Contra. But yeah. Tensoon also chides Breeze for drinking on the job, which kind of seems like an Earth convention, but all right, fair point. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, also, Breeze is always drinking on the job. Why is Tensoon getting like... <laughs> about it now i think maybe he just wants to actually say something about it now that he can that's fair you know what i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna tell him what i think <laughs> he was just sitting there quietly seething when he was playing a dog just like this is irresponsible job again. <laughs> so uh, tensoon does get his requested audience with uh or he he gets the audience with with Sazed. uh Sazed goes over uh, what has happened Tensoon has tuned almost all of it out uh, because he has learned that Vin and Elend are in fact in Fadrex and he is in the wrong place but let's not jump too far ahead because Sazed starts by saying with Spook barely having survived the ordeal yeah Caleb. Uh, I was gonna I was gonna wait until we actually did see Spook this section uh, but yes that was the thing that uh, I didn't even press on, but uh, everyone was very sure that Spook had, in fact, died in the flames in the last section. Apparently, he just barely made it. This this is the, the true folly of Attack on Titan Brain, in that <laughs> I usually don't mind when I'm wrong for the sake of being wrong. I'm okay, I can accept when Attack on Titan Brain is wrong. But it puts you in a certain mindset where... If I had just read the end of the spook section last time and then kept reading, I would have been like, oh, yeah, and he survived, too. Awesome. That's great, because I really like spook now. I want to see more of him. 
But now that I had my theory, and I really liked my theory, <laughs> now I'm like upset that Spook is alive, and I don't like I don't like having that thought. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. But it would have been cool to have a little ribbon on the whole Spook wants to be Kelsier storyline that Akandra once more gets to inspire hope in the people by wearing his bones. I thought that would have been really, really neat. And instead, Tensoon, I was really annoyed at the end of this chapter, but then Tensoon does end up doing more. It really seemed like Tensoon showed up here for literally no reason and immediately leaves. And I was like, what? what's <laughs> even the point of this now? And, well, the other thing I was going to get into is that this also, you know, we can get into it more when we actually see Spook. But we've talked about Attack on Titan Brain. We've talked about Attack on Titan Character Brain. I would like to introduce a third component to the system, which is Attack on Titan Burn Victim Brain, which is when <laughs> I look at something and I go, what the fuck do you mean he survived that? <laughs> I was um, deliriously tired when we recorded last episode. So my attention waned and waxed and at one point i tuned back in and heard you say the word spooks bones and i was like wait what (laughs) where did that thought come from i completely forgot that it could be read as his demise could be read it's phrased the exact same way dachshund dies (laughs) well for the record i'm uh uh i'm at the point now where if Brandon doesn't say doesn't say he is dead, I don't believe it. <laughs> Unless, yeah. like when Kelsier died and they had like seven different like he checked his pulse, his sightless eyes, his dead body. Unless we have that, jury's still yeah. out. Justin, is this the one? It, the way we're talking about it makes me think this is not the one where Brandon said, "Yeah, the character should have died, but I just had him not die because of the story." Uh, no, I I don't. I'm trying to remember because there's a a similar thing that we'll get to much later that I'm wondering if that's what I had mentioned or was this in an annotation? I don't remember. At one point you just said there's no exceptions to the everyone stays dead rule except for one time where someone should have died but then does not actually die. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, no, we will we will find that later. Okay. If it had like narration of him like falling unconscious into the lake i could have bought it but he is like actively on fire when he goes unconscious he's been flaring pewter and now no longer as pewter i will say i find it doubtful that he just was like found unconscious but alive that that seems wild to me he's a tough kid and again i would i would probably be happier about it if i didn't come up with a cool theory about what would happen when he was dead (laughs) yeah i mean i'll admit it was a cool theory i liked it but uh, we will we'll see more of what actually uh, of of the outcome of that. But uh, here, uh, Tensoon is is trying to figure out how much he should be telling Sazed, uh, and how much he needs to uh, try to get to Vin and tell her personally, because uh, Fadric City is quite a ways away, uh, and in particular. Tansoon is thinking about uh, the the keepers uh, and the fact that they have collected all of this information about the world and and always pass it down uh, and the Chandra have been a secret for so long that he does not want to uh, say too much about uh, what exactly it is that that he has to do but decides that uh, 
the end of the world is a pretty good reason uh, and says that it has to do with the hero of ages and the advent of the world's end. Uh, and Seizid says, ah, very well then. Which is not the reaction Tensoon was expecting. <laughs> Carry on. Right this way. Uh, going to chapter 60, uh, our epigraphs are going to return to talking about uh, ruin and preservation and the, the kind of uh, high-level things that we had seen some of last time uh, and the way that preservation had uh, had imprisoned ruin for so long yeah there's a there's a bit in here that's slightly confusing one is just like the theory of um you know my assumption is you know mists are tied to preservation so preservation is at least slightly in some way responsible for killing some people um so the the statement of he could not destroy not even to protect was weird to me and it was especially weird to me remembering uh when he stabbed Ellen almost to death. <laughs> that did happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, it feels like as the, the eons have passed, things have maybe broken down there slightly from their original intent. That could be. Sorry. It does specifically say, it does specifically say against his nature, which I guess could mean like it's more tied to personality rather than like literal capability. Right. And, and we definitely have more to learn about like how exactly uh, like, we we have the the capitalized names ruin and preservation and we saw a a dead body of a person last segment uh but we still have quite a bit to learn about like how exactly all that works yep <laughs> we sure do uh into chapter 60 uh we are back with vin uh in her captivity in fadrex uh, and just to keep everybody on the same page, this is the captivity uh, by Yeoman and not the captivity down in the cavern with Ruin. There's been a lot of captivity for Vin in the past couple of scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best way to fool someone is to give them what they want. Yeoman wants to execute me. Perfect. <laughs> it works. I'm fooling you. Uh, yes, goodbye. Here's a fucking idea for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, she has had some time to think about what has to happen here uh, and has decided that uh, as prepared as they are for an escape attempt from her, uh, a potentially violent one, we, we see all the precautions. You know, the, the only metal that she's found in the cell is, is silver, uh, which doesn't help her at all. Uh, they've been, you know feeding her with wooden utensils no metal at all there uh, but she says well they're looking for an escape attempt here's an escape attempt and and she goes for it and and manages to take down four guards uh with just like a, a table leg and her own abilities but uh yeoman has has employed a uh, a technique of just send lots of guards <laughs> uh, and and this escape attempt um, was uh, was not going to be successful. Yeah, it is. You know, it is absolutely worth it. I think precaution wise, you know, she's one of the most powerful Mistborn around. But it's just very funny. Like we know, yeah, she does not have any major trick up her sleeve. She has no medals. She's literally just using her training with Ham, 
and there's 20 guards making sure that she doesn't escape mm-hmm. like that it's just <laughs> it's it feels so over the top even though it really is not and i love that and then uh very shortly after as uh she is has been recaptured uh she's been brought to yeoman uh we see the payoff to to vin's thoughts on give them what they want uh, because what they wanted was for her to attempt to escape which they were all prepared for and then to capture her again to to subdue her and now that they've done that uh, they have perhaps uh, stepped off a little bit too much uh, because what they didn't realize was that she had uh, she had some of the the grease from the food which was enough to uh, get her hands out of the manacles and then I like the the diversion uh, with the the screws yeah uh, that, where uh, you know they're, they're prepared for one of the most deadly people in the world basically uh, who can kill them with a tiny piece of metal and even though they've taken all these precautions that she shouldn't be able to do that uh, they still flinch when she attempts to <laughs> yeah it's a great I moment think that's very cool to read on the page and would probably look very dumb on screen oh, yeah. <laughs> and just going yeah. Wah! ting 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 as they all just hit the ground I mean it's got to be like a three quarter angle front view of Vin like throwing the screws like yeah and then cut to a wide angle with them like <laughs> falling in front of her before they even get to the guards <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, the the target here of uh, Vin's move here is the the single bead of atium uh, that Yeoman has been wearing as a piece of jewelry uh, this whole time, which, uh, given Ellen's earlier uh, attack against Yeoman, uh, you'd think wouldn't be too bad for Vin to get to, uh, except it doesn't work. Yeoman is uh, fairly easily able to to stay out of her reach. Because it turns out that what uh, what Vin realizes is that Yeoman can burn Atium. Hmm. Well, when Vin uh, presumes something, it usually turns out correct. So, but at the same time... I can't tell if that's weird. sarcastic. Well, l- listen, she was right about Doxa not being the guy. She was right about uh, Demo not being the, the Chandra. Um true but she was also suspecting both of them at certain points throughout the book that's right but when she scratched them off i didn't and that was my big mistake i don't know fair enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah just seems kind of weird because as we'll go into later on he has seven beads of atium so which is both a lot and not a lot at all depending on which context you're you're thinking under <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it seems mysterious that he would have like, you know, eaten the adium ahead of time, and then so that he could burn it for an escape attempt like this. If he's only got seven of them, uh, we have at, at that one point had like been making herself vomit uh, metals back up so she could reuse them later, which was wild. But um, for the most part, the idea of having such a limited resource of it in terms of how much you can burn. This feels not wasteful because he did successfully get out of her way, but very risky to have those like in your system already. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I think that the adium bead that 
that she threw up was actually lead covered with adium. So maybe get like if it's an actual metal, you can't. I don't know. Maybe it's just any time the ventures approach, he just horks one down. And we're like, <laughs> my lord, Vin tried to escape. We're bringing her up here now. <laughs> just uh, shove some adium in his mouth. That's what it seems like. Yeah. At the ball when they show up, he just like ducks under the table. Or no, he's like pretending to salt and pepper his food, but he like slips a bead in there so that he can yeah, eat it very discreetly. Sneak it right in. <laughs> but now it is time. It is time. Uh, it is time to conduct some like Imperial Inquisition business in Yeoman's mind uh, because he needs to decide uh, if he is going to execute Vin for the murder of the Lord Ruler. Which, uh, as we've seen uh, from Yeoman, uh, can involve some discussion first, because he is he is one to discuss things. He, he certainly is. Yeah, we do get a lot of discussing in this chapter, which I am on board with. I love Yeoman, but he does do quite a bit of talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for the most part, Vin is uh, actually just tells the truth on a lot of these things. You know, it's it's not... Uh, it's not the time or place for her uh, to be be cagey with this in the position that she's in, uh, and and you know explains about the storage cache and and why they came there. Uh, and Yeoman may or may not believe this, but she says the intent was not specifically to conquer the city. It was the cache? <laughs> they argue about what is death? Who's dead? survivor's dead lord ruler's dead they're both dead neither are dead i just love how vin says it (laughs) and so he is dead no contraction (laughs) he is dead yeah there's a um a a bit of a theological debate here about uh yeoman uh insists that uh the lord ruler is not gone and they they get to kind of compare that Yeoman says that Vin is you know, a uh, a head of the Church of the Survivor, and she says, "Well, that's not quite ha- like they they kind of worship me, but I'm not in charge of them." I also love that in the middle of this very interesting philosophical discussion, Ruin is just blatantly salty that he did not get to spike Yeoman, and he's like, "This one was a disappointment. I fucking hate this guy, stupid idiot." Yeah, Ruin's just like the peanut gallery here. <laughs> This is such like, you know, I'm all for Yeoman having these philosophical discussions with people. It's great. Um, and Vin kind of turns it against him later on, which is also very fun to watch or read, I, I guess, as it, as the case may be. Uh, but this is like a freshman philosophy course <laughs> debate here. Yeah, a little bit. I love it, though. I, I, um, I'm also a Yeoman fan, especially like... Like we mentioned earlier, Vin just kind of sits there and tells the truth. And the specific line of, and Yeoman actually listened, which causes Vin to be like, alright, this dude can hang. Yeah, it's very, like, we, we go back to the Slow Swift conversation, and Slow Swift is like, yeah, he's a good man. And it takes the reader, I think, a while to, like, ever believe that. Mm-hmm. But it comes to these conversations, and it's like, he obviously has his own faith system, he served a terrible leader but believed in that leader and now wants to continue that leadership so there are a lot of flaws with him being in charge but like 
yes, he will listen to you when you want to make your argument in your defense. And he will, like, have a conversation with you, um, which, yeah, I think makes him a really interesting antagonist. And there's a contrast between, like, as the readers see this, and I agree, do gain more of an appreciation for him, he is still imprisoning Vin, and at least according to what he says, intends to put her to death. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> it's true, but we've also seen the Urto crew just blatantly take a hostage and says it was like, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, it's war, and... Like, honestly, strategic-wise, Yeoman should have killed Vin a while ago. Like, if we're being real, I'm not saying it's a moral good thing to do, but in terms of <laughs> sheer strategy, the fact that he took this long to have her trial is, like, it's risky. And then meanwhile here, uh, Ruin, uh, Ruin's presence goes from kind of uh, just uh, ragging on Yeoman to really trying to to provoke vin and and get under get under her skin and it's quite effective you know he's uh he's poking on some things that really do bother her but uh the consequences of that are uh, perhaps a little unexpected uh certainly by yeoman and perhaps also by ruin uh because vin has from the the uh, narration that we see it does seem like an actual like change of thought by her and this is not just a tack that she's taking to try to argue with yeoman this seems to be at least partially what she's thinking of herself uh is that uh, her place might not be as part of the church of the survivor her place is the successor to the lord ruler the one who is is going to be taking up this divine power and controlling the world for better or for worse. Which is also like a really interesting thematic parallel with, she came to this conclusion for completely different reasons, but that's the exact same argument Tensoon made. She's the Lord Ruler's successor. Um, right. And the idea that she is also in that headspace is really interesting. Yeah. So the, uh, the thing that Vin is now going to argue, uh, throwing it back in, in Yeoman's face uh, is that, he also seems to have some doubt on what Vin's place in the world is, given that she did kill the Lord Ruler. Uh, and so she says, you can't kill me because you think I might be right. This, this whole conversation reminds me of, um, of Captain Bible in the Dome of Darkness when you meet... Uh, I'm sorry? <laughs> It's a DOS game. It's a great DOS game. The Flash game on ChristianAnswers.net. Listen, it's a shitty DOS game, all right? But the gist of it is, um, and I watched it because it's a shitty DOS game, not because I'm like a Christian or whatever. Um, But uh, yeah, there's a part of it where you go to this woman who's like worshiping a false idol or whatever, and you have to convince her using the Bible, which wouldn't really work in real life. It doesn't respect the source material, but whatever. Um, convince her using the Bible that resur- you know, resurrection is a hoax or whatever. Um, and uh, I don't know if the Bible teaches that resurrection is a well, hoax. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, think I know. The Bible, yeah, Bible was famously pro-resurrection. Yeah, and there's there's all these all these things that go into it, right? But there's part of it where like if you don't have the verse 
then Captain Bible just goes, like, she'll go, he's the Messiah. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Go away. Fine, but I'll be back. And that, like, that was this conversation for me. Just like, why do you want the seeds? They won't grow. Trade me for them. You won't talk to us. <laughs> They're just back and forth snipping. Yeah, the uh, the freshman philosophy course uh, analogy was made earlier. And then the chapter ends on an economic sec- uh, uh, discussion. And <laughs> I think all this just goes to show that, like, Yeoman and Ellen would really get along in a different life, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we go from uh from the the theological debate to uh Vin trying to uh to convey like they aren't trying they're trying to save the world in their own mind. And so what uh, what can they do with with Fadrick City uh and it comes back to the ATM eventually which uh, Vin is, is saying, you know, is, is still important. Uh, you have and... it! Italics! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeoman uh, points out that in the current state of the world, uh, it ATM does not do anything for you. It does not feed a person. It? You mean that? This is all about that? <laughs> ATM's worthless. It's garbage. Now watch me dodge this attack. <laughs> yeah, he does do that. He does. This whole conversation is really interesting because at the, towards the beginning of our interactions with Yeoman, he was like, um, I don't lie. I don't need to lie. And I do love it when that's like a character claims that and then it's true. And spoilers for later in this section, we find out that Yeoman really does not have much ATM. And it's interesting um, looking at this discussion, and he definitely misleads Vin, but he never really lies about whether or not he has a big stash of it. He at one point mentions those lumps of metal, and technically speaking, he has seven lumps. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he kind of like gets to have his cake and eat it too of like, yeah, he really does not actually lie here, which is really interesting. I, I control F to my notes for this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I just control F the word ATM because I was like, didn't I make a prediction about ATM? Did, wasn't there? Why was I so upset that he didn't have ATM? Um, but anyway, uh, in this chapter, in my notes for this chapter, I have, nope, ATM. You've got the ATM, you fuck. ATM. Rune wants the ATM. He's there for the ATM. Oh my god, there really is no ATM. <laughs> These are it's like a separate. Roller coaster there. These are separate say, lines. This is your descent into madness. <laughs> We're all descending into madness here. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> but yeah, quote my notes. Fuck me, it's real. What the fuck? What the hell, Brandon? <laughs> Brandon. Brandon. <laughs> you promised there wouldn't be ATM when you said that we had the character say at every turn that there would be ATM. <laughs> Yeah, it remains a complicated question, and it will for at least a few more chapters, apparently. Uh, Going to chapter 61, uh, our epigraph talks about the the state of the world. Uh, This one's a much more kind of personal feeling one than the past couple. 
uh, we're talking about the the state of the world and them being able to feed themselves, which was a thing that Vin had touched on with with Yeoman, uh, and how the mists might have not actually been as dangerous as they they thought way back when they were starting to linger during the day. Uh, but the ash mounts, those are definitely a problem. The and ash. Here we have further evidence that although we believe Seiza to be the hero of ages, the true survivor is Ham, because Ham was the one to suggest mushrooms and other crops that don't need much light to survive. And everyone said, no, that won't help. <laughs> Man does know how to survive, apparently. It's all about those mushrooms. Uh, but yeah, we are going to the other part of the, the Fadrax City story, uh, as Elland has returned to the camp, which apparently the mood in the camp was that that might not have been the case, given how long he was gone and the fact that he went out by himself, uh, evidently towards a bunch of Kolos. Uh, but he has returned, uh, and Ham is here to greet him, and Ellen now uh, has has increased their Kolos force to thirty seven thousand total, which is a uh, a significant force, a fuck ton, a surprise tool that will help us later. I'm sure. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Also, uh, there is now what you might consider a comical amount of ash on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it looked a little like it was dug into the ground several feet. Like they're just, they're underground with all the, where's it coming from? Is it, are, do the ash mounts manufacture ash? Cause there's, this they're spitting out ash pretty much constantly, I think. But yeah, but like from, uh, I, I, it feels like there's just a finite amount of mass on the earth. <laughs> on, on Skadriel. like it's got to be coming from somewhere right there is uh definitely quite a bit of it at this point we'll see how much longer that can actually last because it, it does not seem sustainable one way or the other Skadriel is infinite snow globe Skadriel, bad at the environment <laughs> bad at democracy bad at the environment yeah <laughs> We also get, like, if Ellen had said this out loud, I would actually forgive it more because it could be, like, classic Mistborn, Kelsier-esque, like, swagger. But he has the inner thought of, did you think I'd run off to get myself killed? Or did you simply think that I'd wander away and abandon you? Ellen, you fully almost did both of those things. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> he really did do almost both of those things. But he has returned. Uh, he retains control of all of his Kolos. Uh, as does Vin, which is his indication that Vin is still alive. And the ham says, you could have told us that there's a chance that they could have all just gone crazy and attacked us, which is a fair <laughs> point. Or you fucked off into the ash. And maybe abandoned us forever. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, that is that is the state of things now. Uh, Ellen thinks that they have a force that could attack Fadrek City if they needed to. Uh, that was one of the things that uh, Ellen's meeting with Preservation, the, the little information that they did get across, Preservation seemed very insistent that Ellen should not attack. Uh, but if it becomes necessary, they are now, again, capable of doing it. Yeah. And uh, once again, we get reflections on you have to keep your orders to Kola simple, not just, uh, well, all right trying to think of how to phrase this 
Um, both of the sections that we've seen that mention Kolos needing simple instructions, both Vin and now Elend, um, both of them mention carrying things. <laughs> Specifically? They're strong boys. <laughs> like, like a, a fight, attack, a retreat. Uh, carry that thing. Pick that up. <laughs> They're like Pikmin, basically. Oh. Very large, very deadly Pikmin. <laughs> Pikmin were deadly too. Pikmin, not Pikman. I I'm going to take one Colos <laughs> in a fight over one Pikmin. That, that's a, that's a good assessment. That's fair. Would you, would you rather fight ten Pikmin-sized Colos or one Colos-sized Pikmin? <laughs> God, God. a colossal sized Pikmin would be terrifying. <laughs> I know, it, but neither of them are actually very good options, honestly. Well, Pikmin are very small, so actually yeah. 10 co- Pikmin-sized Colossus would probably be doable, but I would still be a little scared. That's, I don't know, I think those are easily, like, step-onable. They're mm-hmm. smaller than, like, a battery. I know, but, like, it, you say that, but, like, what is your reaction when you see a cockroach running around? I don't think they're even that big. I'm, I'm just saying, everyone thinks, oh, it's a small thing, I won't be scared of it. But if ten cockroaches appeared suddenly, you'd probably think differently. Right, but how about, like, ten ants? Then I would be scared. I was gonna, I didn't want to call it out, but I was gonna say it. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't like it, but I'd be easily able to squish them. Yes, that is true. I go, ew, gross, and then they die, so... Right. Right. Well, that is not a thing that we can do with Coloss. <laughs> that is true. If you squish them, you, you might step on the spikes inside of them, and then that hurts. You and know, then you're spiked. You're, you're then right. Then you're spiked, too. Yeah, that's bad. Right. That's a strategy Ruin needs to try. It's like little splinter-sized spikes that people just can't get out because they're too fucking small. Just a field of caltrops, and they're all <laughs> hemallergic. Should we talk about the uh, the state of the final empire? Oh shit, the book. Yeah, I mean that was fairly close to the book as far as our tangents go. We were at least still talking about Coloss, kind of. I was true. inches from pushing us into talking about animorphs because of ants. So let's let's stay focused on Hero of Ages, please. Yeah, with with you and me here, we cannot we cannot <laughs> breach we cannot that stray. tangent. Yeah. Uh, we like to have fun here. King Lacall is dead. King Lacall <laughs> dead, and an entire city are lavaed. Uh, Genaral is MIA. Genaral, no. Genaral. Uh, the entire the entire southern dominance apparently is in bad shape. Uh, they haven't heard from uh, Demo and the men who who went with that group. So yeah, things are not great not doing well it's bad if this is the last time we we see mention of Gennaro I'm gonna be mad I won't be mad but I will be sad he was a person he he had lines he was one of the the guys the the, the subject kings and that was just missing I don't know killed off screen it is funny like I know Straff was the more important character but it is funny that like set has gotten so much play and Gennaro's been mentioned like twice this entire book yeah. 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 Seth's practically part of the main crew. We at least got Penrod for like a chapter and then scattered mentions. And then Janarl who? Mm-hmm. Ellen, what do we do? 
we won't give up. I'm bolstered now. That's enough for me. <laughs> that was, I will admit, that one was a little bit cheesy. That, like, a line that simple and Ham was like, hell yeah, man, that'll do it. <laughs> but yeah, Ellen needs to uh, figure out what the next move is going to be. Uh, and Set asks, we're going to attack. Uh, and Ellen does think about his encounter with, with preservation. Uh, and uh, he asks the question, could he base the future of his empire on vague impressions he got from a ghost in the mists? And apparently for now, the answer is yes. Uh, because, well, the, the, they uh, do, <laughs> yeah, he does say that they are, are, are going to, uh, they're going to attack. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what the outcome of that is. Oh, Rescue Vin, get into the cavern, get back to Luthadel, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. <laughs> <laughs> I like most of that plan. Uh, going to 62, uh, we are, we've been jumping around a lot in our epigraphs here, because now we're going back to uh, Rashik and Elendi, who we haven't covered in quite a bit. And uh, our, our writer here is is speculating that it's it's quite possible that uh, Alendi was a seeker, which is how the whole uh, finding the Well of Ascension thing began. Uh, but that back before the days of the Ascension, Alamancy was a very different thing, and the modern Alamancers are all descendants of the uh, the the people who took the the beads of power at the Well. Uh, during the ascension which still feels like a reveal to me i think i don't know where sam landed on it but my my theory the whole time was alamancy was started by like rashak getting the power and then when he found out the beads i was like okay the beads were the start of all of alamancy the fact that alamancy existed before rashak became the lord ruler is yeah that's I, i'm surprised to see that and i'm interested to see like we still don't really have a definitive origin for it right and it it does kind of like it kind of plays both sides here where it says you know alamancy did exist but alamancy as we know it today yeah came from came from the power that was at the well yeah and it gave them power to uh persist with that power for 10 centuries so i guess we're done it's been 10 centuries it's been fun guys back it up i mean that's kind of what the planet's doing right now isn't it that's true <laughs> that's, true. that's yeah. kind of the plot of the book yeah skadriel too is also in the same kind of situation yeah yeah existed before the ascension and then changed significantly and now 10 centuries later we're done <laughs> uh in chapter 62 uh we return again to Erto and with Sazed uh, at the beginning here. Uh, and Sazed is is checking in on Spook, uh, who is still unconscious. He was quite severely hurt here. So, you know, it was uh, it was very close to to your, your prediction. But uh, Sazed does kind of um, miss something here because he says, you know, Spook definitely doesn't have pewter or he would have healed faster. And I tried giving him pewter and it didn't work. So he definitely does not and never did have pewter. <laughs> it must have been my imagination. <laughs> Literally his conclusion here. 
<laughs> Must have been a stunt double what jumped out the window. <laughs> and landed, quote, with the grace of someone burning pewter. Yeah, so Erto is, is in an interesting state. Uh, Breeze is uh, in charge. Um, God help us all. Um, <laughs> and Quellian is surprisingly helpful. Uh, parentheses, now that he doesn't have a spike in him. Which anyone other than Spook still doesn't know at this point is the weird thing. Yeah, it makes me wonder how much of that big final confrontation people could see. Because it felt like it was a very chaotic scene when Spook was like actually confronting Quellian. But I like to imagine that there was one guy who was just like, okay... He's kind of attacking, and he got a spike out the other- Okay, he's not- Okay, he's attacking himself now, and he's getting a spike out of- And I- We're, we're good now. We're walking away. What are they away. looking at? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, we will- We'll see how Spook is doing. Um, I do have, I think, some bad news for y'all. Um, oh! Yep. <sighs> Beldra's is it about here. fucking Beldra? It's ah! about Beldra. She and needs the spray bottle too. Now even Sazed <laughs> is studying the girl's eyes. Her sad, sad eyes. So sad. Is this like guilt that that Spook's hurt because of her? Or is this like she likes him because of it? <laughs> she really does love him. Spook undeniably did something really badass. But yeah, it's the it's the thing of love. When they start using the word love, I was like, come on. No, squirt, yeah, squirt bottle. Squirt bottle time. Yeah. You could like say like she seemed infatuated with him. And I would be like, okay, this could be... Stockholm syndrome because he took you hostage, girl, and also that some badassery, but like, and love. Shut up. It would be incredible if she is working with Quellian, and this is all still long game of like, once we save the world, we're taking our toe back, we're kicking these guys out, but I need to gain their trust for right now. <laughs> and Sazed kind of briefly touches on it, but not quite uh, in the way that I'm going to point out, but. I don't know if Sazed is exactly an authority on uh, love and relationships. Yeah. Well, that's true, but he did really good counseling with Vin and Elland, though. He did. So it's not like he's blind to the whole how this works. Just dumb here. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll give you that one. But Sazed, uh, uh, with, with kind of everything else being handled for the moment... Uh, it says it has a task to finish, uh, which is the conclusion of his uh, religious search. He is down to the final 10 pages in his, his portfolio. Uh, and, and now he's done with the final 10 pages. <laughs> and now he's done with the final 10 pages. And the answer that he has come to is nothing. Nothing. It, there is There was not a single one of the 500 and some religions in his portfolio that he has decided is is worthy of a person believing in. Uh, he has found errors or contradictions uh, or, or something, some flaw in each of them, uh, and none of them are good enough for him. Atheist says it. The twist. It is a very interesting... It's very Brothers Karamazov... Um, of this scene here of um 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna look. I took one Russian lit class and I loved it, so I'm gonna get into it for a second. Go for it. It was a phenomenal class. You were it correct. Was, it was great. Uh, Dostoevsky was absolutely a man of faith and believed very much that you know faith was a very important part of life and being alive. And about I think a third of the way through Brothers Karamazov, he has a character just give like one of the single best takedowns of "Here's why I don't believe in God" like ever written. And, like, very much goes into detail about the thought process of, look, if there was something benevolent out there, it would do more to help people. Um, there's not enough evidence to, like, very, very structured detail. Um, and uh, it's just very impressive knowing that Brandon also is a man of faith and has this main say. character um, who has been, for the first two books, a very big proponent of religion, come to this conclusion and be like, yeah, there's... if." I would have found something by now if there was anything looking out for us, but these are all full of inconsistencies. Life is too painful. There can't be a, like a good God. Um, yeah. It's just a very fascinating uh, mindset for the main character, one of the main characters to have. And I, you know, I really appreciate the, the, the complexity and the, the thoroughness with which that mindset is explored. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't want to look forward too much because we do have quite a bit here, right here in front of us. Uh, but there's another character in a future book who we'll get to later, who also is is an interesting contrast of a character who is a staunchly atheist in a world with with magic and what often would be described as gods. And and like you pointed out, written by someone who is himself very devout and very faithful. So yeah, I, I think this is this is so cool to read. So yeah, Cesar he he's finished his work. He has he he's trying to come to some conclusion that gives him anywhere to kind of stand on because the the conclusions that he's drawing are are not good for his own kind of mental well being. Uh, and in the midst of all this, uh. Tensoon is going to be departing. Uh, he's going to try uh, his best to get to Vin as soon as possible. And on his, his way out, uh, tells Breeze, give my regards to the announcer. Uh, hang on, what is that that you just said? That might be important. <laughs> Pat Hughes. He's a good announcer. He is a good he announcer. He is, it's true. And an avid listener. <laughs> Shout out to Pat Hughes. Shout out to Pat Hughes. Pat Hughes. Caleb, do you have any idea who we're talking about? Uh, he's a sports announcer. You see? Yeah. He is. Well done. Yeah. Radio. radio. Play. Yeah. All right. I would not have guessed radio, but I knew it was, I, I was, well, I was like 60% sure it was a Cubs thing. And he's been doing it for <laughs> probably, yeah, I just looked it up, 40 years. God bless. God Let's give bless. a quick shout out to Pat Hughes. We would give it up for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll it though. I'll <laughs> You know what's great in podcast form? People clapping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah our waveforms are hellish. God, that looks horrifying. <laughs> I, I may cut all those out. We'll see. <laughs> no. Just 30 seconds of silence as we go shut us to Pat Hughes. <laughs> but yeah, this is a... Uh, this is a, a, a shocking moment here when Tensoon says this and says it has to kind of tear himself away from the mental state that he was just in um, because uh, Tensoon has, has referred to him as the announcer 
uh, and uh, Sezid goes back and gets the 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 translation that he did with Tindwall, uh, where it very clearly says uh, the holy first witness. Uh, and so Bree says, "No, it's it's the the wrong phrase." Uh, but Sezid knows that this was changed. This was a thing that Ruin had changed in order to convince Sezid uh, that Vin needed to go to the well and take up the power. Uh, and Tensoon has somehow come up with the correct translation. This is cool as hell. This is really cool. Whoa, connection made. Yeah, the specific moment of Sezid hearing that and then running out into the hallway, Sezid doing it with enough force to, like, slam the door back into the wall. It's a very good image. Yeah, that's one of those, like, writing details of, like, I wouldn't think to describe the door hitting the wall and bouncing back, but it's a very good... I, I don't know, it's just a very, like, specific detail of showing just, like, how, like, rushed and desperate he is to find out more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the question that Sazed has is, how did you know what the, the terrorist prophecies said? Uh, and Tensoon raises a very good point of uh, what happened to the other people at the well? Uh, and, and Breeze gives the, the kind of doctrine answer, uh, which is that the Lord Ruler, uh, in to thank them for their service, blessed them with the uh, the power of allomancy and the the titles of nobility, uh, and and Sazed realizes that wouldn't have worked because the people who came to the well with him, the with, with Rashek specifically, uh, were ferrochemists, and giving them allomancy as well would have put them on equal power with the Lord Ruler, and we saw just what sort of power that is to have access to both magic. So those that group of people could not have been the original uh the original Alamancers. And Tensoon leads Sazed to the answer, but Sazed does figure it out is they must have become the original Chandra and are still alive. Goodness me. Goodness me. Kind of fucked up to be like, hey, everybody, thanks for helping me get here. I'm going to turn you into just the the most fucked up thing that doesn't exist yet that I just... You're goop now. You're goop. I love Tensoon in this scene because we, we've talked before about, like, Chandra thinking differently and, like, having certain rules that they've imposed on themselves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we see Tensoon rules lawyering himself around them of like, I'm not going to volunteer the information, but right as you start asking me about it, I'll give you just an, oh, you arrived at the conclusion yourself. Good for you. Also, you did a bad job of, you were too slow in arriving at that conclusion. Let's go. Yeah, it's like the line of, I expected you to drag this out of me. Tensoon, you were fully like ready to give the oh, entire yeah. speech. Don't yeah. lie about them having to drag it out of you. And yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm interested to find out more about like how the Contra work. I will say this twist was like, it felt weird to me first reading it. And I appreciate 
you know, I felt like Tensoon was trying to call me out of, no one ever thought to ask this. I appreciate the priest was like, no, we did think about it, but we had an answer that seems to make sense, which is how mm-hmm. I felt of like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's not that I wasn't thinking about it. It's just, I thought I had the answer already. <laughs> right. But yeah, this is now a, uh, there's a new objective now, uh, which is uh, not only is Tensoon going to, uh, to try to go find Vin, uh, but Sazed is going to come with because this will get him uh, to the Terrace homeland, or sorry, uh, this will get him to the Chandra homeland. Spoilers. Uh, well, yeah. same place. <laughs> because uh, there are there are two things to be done there. Uh, for Sazed, he can learn what there is left of the original Terrace faith. Uh, and for Ten Soon, uh, this is perhaps another chance to make the argument that he was trying to make, uh, which is that the end of the world has arrived. We'll see what that entails when we get to return to either Sazed or Ten Soon. Uh, before chapter 63, uh, our epigraph, uh, this is a thing that we had touched on briefly, uh, mentions that Ruin tried very hard to spike a number of members of the crew uh, and in fact did manage to uh, to get a spike physically into Yeoman uh, but that Yeoman was able to uh, you know treat the injury that he had remove the spike bandage it etc etc before Ruin actually had a, a grasp on his mind wow Close call there. Yeah. yeah. I do love the uh, subtle implication that Yeoman is considered part of the crew. That's fun. Yeah, that is a, a kind of... Like, at, at this point... I mean, we're still kind of on the edge between Ellen may or may not be attacking him. Um, but at least the conversations that, uh, that Vin and Yeoman have been having uh, shows that they're not... Uh, they are both on the side, not the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 63 itself. Uh, we are back with uh, Vin. And she is having a talk with Ruin. Because I guess that's all you can do at the moment. And and Vin has uh, a couple of big questions. Uh, like, why me? You know, why... Uh, of the whole span of of your existence, of the thousand years that you've been imprisoned, why right now? Why exactly me? And uh, she doesn't really get an answer. And Ruin is just enjoying talking about the end of the world. He busts out yet another metaphor for it. <laughs> like an old man, moaning as he dies, calling for his children. Like, you already had the good metaphor about being the caretaker. We could calm down, man. Look, he had a thousand years to think of this, and this was like he was deciding between the two, and then another conversation happened. He was like, Ooh, now's the time for the old man thing. <laughs> you can blame the Lord Ruler if you like. I just like how he throws that out there. The Lord Ruler yeah. did much of this himself. You can blame him if you wish. I'm barely the bad guy here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, come on. The... <laughs> we can't blame the Lord Ruler. He was just misunderstood. He got carried away. No, preservation was the bad guy because he broke the deal in which I would destroy the world and kill everybody. 
And he tried to kill Ellen that one time. There's a, there is a non-insignificant aspect to that, Sam, of like, look, destroying the world is bad. I'm not saying I want it to happen, but like, if they made an actual deal and then preservation just decided, nah, then like, <laughs> that's a little, that's a little messed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I am biased from a living mortal human being point of view. <laughs> I, the deal should not have been made in the first place is the main thing. Yeah. What I don't get, and this is like a thing that I haven't gotten for a little bit, is the time scale here. Because I feel like a thousand years is not a lot of time in terms of like letting humans live and exist. I mean, if you you're know? looking at things on... wasn't Didn't the Lord Ruler rule for a thousand years, yes. though? So wouldn't humanity would have been around for longer than that? Right. Yeah, okay. because Rashik and Alendi existed. <laughs> <laughs> but did the contract have, like, this is when it ends. You can have them after 10,000 years. Or was it just, like, at some indes- indeterminate point in the future, <laughs> whenever you want, just, yeah, when you feel like it. This is why it's important to be specific in contracts, people. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Especially when they have things like the fate of an entire planet's worth of living people. But, uh, yeah, the... Um, Vin is trying to think through, uh, you know, what what does she know? What can she do here? Ruin is talking about how it is all coming to an end. Uh, and Vin decides that once again, she needs to act. Uh, calls for the guards, says, I want to make a deal with, with Yeoman uh, and take me to him. So uh, this does begin. Uh, Vin and Yeoman have a uh, an, an audience here. And Yeoman is under a lot of stress here. And I, I appreciate that, again, there, there are some various sides to this conflict, but we've, we've started to kind of appreciate Yeoman more. And I can appreciate him here dealing with way more than he should have to ever deal with. So we, we have another kind of uh, section of Vin relying on discussing things honestly with Yeoman, which seems to have worked pretty well so far. Uh, the information that he requests as part of their exchange is how do they control the Coloss? Uh, and Vin does just tell him. It says emotional allomancy. You need a certain amount of power to do it. Uh, she even talks about Duralamin, which it seems that... Uh, that Yeoman did not uh, know about. Uh, and and yeah, she's trying to basically lay out uh, the parts of the plan that they have been going through of working through the storage caches, the notes on them, uh, and and trying to find out what the, uh, the plan is. And to his credit, even though he seems to not be believing all of it, once more, he listens. He's, he's letting her talk. Mm-hmm. He does, however, uh, not believe that Duralamin exists, which, as Sam says, what the fuck, moron? What the fuck, moron? It's a, It's been a while since it's been uncovered. I don't know. Isn't she one of, like, three people who knows it exists, though? Well, that's true, but, like, you'd think that rumors or something. I don't know. I mean, this was a thing that you knew existed before we I even know. started Well of Ascension. I've known about it for, like, a whole book by now, yeoman. <laughs> Why don't you know what I know? 
that was a that was still a really funny just like out of the blue called shot of just talking about the real world world metallurgy of aluminum it's like oh that's gonna be relevant (laughs) it was boy howdy am i ever good at driver shots but uh as as they are trying to to find where this negotiation is going uh vin's tactic uh that she is still just kind of making this up as she goes uh which she's proven quite good at uh is that uh if vin is some sort of heir of the lord ruler's power uh then it it would have been the lord ruler's will uh for her to be here now meeting with yeoman uh and involving him in their plans uh and i i like uh uh ruin as the peanut gallery you giving her a, a golf clap for that one <laughs> that's great ruin is at this point very confident that uh there's nothing that can be done and and he has he has won the day and so is seems quite comfortable to say you know well that was a good move it probably won't be good enough but it was a good move <laughs> Which is also like knowing where this chapter is going and the apparent reveal that Ruin has a key piece of the plan he has not figured out yet. Kind of wild how overconfident he is right now. Vin says it's all connected. The mists, the coloss, me, the storage caverns, the ash, the doors, the, ash? the sardines. <laughs> doors, the police. Doors sardines. sardines. That's farce, that's theater, that's life. <laughs> Listener, if you get that reference, send us an email. Or just send us an email. Just do it. Yeah, if you don't get that reference and you want to know what it is, <laughs> we'll tell you. I'll make sure to send you an email. <laughs> I mean, you can. But yeah, uh, one of those in that list, uh, the Ash, uh, is something that Yeoman, as a practical, competent ruler, uh, has definitely noticed. Uh, and Vin notices his noticing and says, thank you for noticing this notice. And that is you know the 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 ash is coming it is it's pushing something to the end of the world and they are going to yeoman is is willing to listen to what vin has to propose here so uh this is a thing that uh perhaps could have been done earlier if they had if if they had had more time or had more successfully gotten in and out of the the Fadrex uh, cache, Vin is going to mark down the locations of the caches that they found, uh, and they're going to see if they can find some final piece of the puzzle here. Brandon enumerates all the cities that she marks, but doesn't enumerate Statlin City, the first one, or I guess the second one after Luthadel. Wait, did Statlin City change to Satran? I was going to say, did he forget what it was called? Brandon. Satrin. We all see Satrin, right? This is yes. not another... Satrin. Yes, yes. Okay. We're on the same page here, literally. Great. I wish it was on the map so I could check, but sure isn't on any maps. I, I looked this up. Um, That should be Statlin. And in the, the Leatherbound, it is. Brandon. Brandon's editor. The guy at Barnes & Noble who told me they never made any changes to any of the editions of Hero of Ages... How about Satrin, fucker? <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. 
trying to sell me on two different versions of the book and i was like no i need i literally need to be on the same page as the other people i'm reading with i need this one he was like but they're pretty much the same if you're here thank you for listening oh yeah absolutely i still appreciate he was super friendly i appreciate his help (laughs) he just did not understand what i was asking for so the uh the realization uh that vin does make uh is that the locations that they've all visited uh, do seem to be quite heavy in uh, mining activity. Uh, and she wants to uh, to cross-reference this with places in the Empire that have a lot of minerals. And and Yeoman says, of course we can do that. We, we are a, a competent, functioning government body. Uh, and so they, they do have... Uh, another map of of mining resources across the final empire and uh this is a this is the conclusion that uh that vin realizes is that these storage caches are specifically in places where there are there's lots of metal in the ground do you think uh do you think the lord ruler um put on his pluto hat and like custom made like reamed custom made the uh the terrain to plan out exactly where the metal deposits would be that was a good book that was a great book go read reamed everybody like we got all the recommendations today go read some neil stevenson weird (laughs) that's a good question though is you know um i mean vin does mention that uh there it is it is spoken of that the location of luthadel is specifically where it is uh because of all the metal in the ground makes it particularly good for alamancers so there is a, a bit of a question of what's the the cause and effect here and as as vin is trying to uh to think through this uh she has some realizations that perhaps things have uh, have not been going quite as well even in places where they thought it was, uh, which is just maybe uh, the the metal around these storage caches is another layer of defense against ruin, uh, in, in that not only was the writing on a metal plate to prevent it from being changed, uh, but is it... Uh, is is the metal itself some sort of, of shield to prevent ruin from... Uh, from seeing where it all is, and then the the problem that she realizes from there is, Vin and Ellen have been going to each cache, and Ruin can very easily see where they go. Damn it, Vin! Oops. Oopsie. I I do like the reveal that metal is acting as a kind of shield. The way Vin reaches the conclusion, I think, is a bit of a stretch because she thinks about Quan. She goes, they were written in metal because he said they were safe. Did he mean safe from being read? Okay, but he didn't say that. He said words not written and still can't be trusted, which definitely leans more into the first interpretation of they can't be changed more than they can't be read by the evil thing. Yeah, I'll give you that one. But it does seem to match with... um the the attitude that uh, ruin has had and the way that that things have been progressing uh and in particular the realization that she has uh after that 
is that why has she been so intent on finding this ATM? Uh, because Yeoman is right. There's not much of a point to it right now. And and yet, still, they've, they've been... Vin, in particular, has been thinking there's got to be ATM hidden somewhere in perhaps the next cache. Can we find it? And uh, maybe Ruin could have found it as well then. But at the moment of that realization, uh, we have the return of an old friend. Hmm. Because Marsh is here. There, an Inquisitor has arrived. This, this is in fact the one that we know. This is Marsh himself, and this is this is such a cool moment. Like it's it's horrifying, but it's really cool because you have, uh, you have Yeoman who is is trying to like fall in line with an inquisitor who is is still an important part of his faith uh you have uh marsh who immediately just ruins that image and then you have marsh look at ruin and bow as nobody else but vin can see him that's just really cool it's really cool but now yeoman is the in the position of Okay, Inquisitor's walk it. What is he doing? What What is that? Yes. I also love the moment of Marsh glanced at Vin, smiled slightly, but then ignored her. I'm sure that's like Ruin's influence being very like, you know, arrogant and overconfident. But I would love it if like Marsh chose to take control for just a little bit of a moment to smile at Vin. And it just came across really threatening because he's an Inquisitor now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different look than the the marsh that Vin did know. It's marsh being like, you know, I'm gonna give her some little semblance of comfort in this very very scary moment, and Vin's watching, going, "Oh God, damn it, no!" Yeah, we're all dead. <laughs> we're all dead. And uh, Marsh has a message to convey, which is that they are about to be attacked. He's quite sure of this fact that uh, that Ellen is going to have the Coloss lead the charge as a surprise attack. And Marsh is here before that happens to retrieve the Atium that Yeoman definitely has, right? Mm -hmm. Where else would it be? He heavily implied that he had a ton of it. He has it. That? (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what Vin says. Yeah. Because, yeah, Yeoman says, no, all I have is is seven beads of ATM that I managed to get uh, from the Canton of Resource. And that's it. Uh, and and he says, you know, I, I, Vin thought that I had it, and so I let her believe that. Uh, but apparently this is not uh, what Marsh and Ruin wanted to hear because there's a, there's quite the reaction from there but i didn't technically lie also mr inquisitor did you notice that that was pretty cool right <laughs> i also love that this is the tactic that vin was was sort of banking on a few chapters ago of like give them what they want and it'll it'll help you in the long mm-hmm. run and yeoman just completely pulled that on her mm-hmm. and it still helped question mark <laughs> he's part yeah. of the crew <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, Yeoman attempts to reiterate his argument that ATM won't do them any good now. Uh, except that in in Marsh and in Ruin's view, that is apparently exactly incorrect, uh, and that the the ATM is vital. And this is a this is an interesting situation here. But yeah, uh, in the meantime, also uh, Marsh is completely uninterested in Yeoman's theological arguments because he just says the Lord Ruler is dead. He, he was an unprofitable servant and Marsh and Ruin are going to let the city burn. Because Alan's about to attack. Yeah, that is, uh, that's what it comes down to is Alan is going to attack this city with a force of nearly 40,000 Kolos. Uh, and Vin says that, no, he's not. And her reason is simple, which is that he's a better person than she is. Yeah. Vin says Ellen's bluffing. Marsh thinks she's bluffing about him bluffing. And Vin says, I'm not bluffing about him bluffing. Yes. It's that's, all very simple. <laughs> that's exactly it. But we will see what the uh, the outcome of, of Vin's gamble there is uh, in just a little bit. Because we have a, a short chapter here, uh, chapter 64 is uh the shortest of the or the second shortest of the entire book so we'll be we'll be back in a moment uh, but first we have uh, another epigraph trying to to work through some of what ruin had been doing how the pieces had been moving around the board uh, and in particular how why didn't ruin go to fadrex until the very end uh, and the the conclusion here is that Ruin felt like he had won. He he had control of all the the crucial pieces, and could just uh, could just do what he needed to do whenever he needed to do it. So chapter sixty four itself, uh, we do return here to Spook for uh, just a brief moment. Uh, who we join him in the middle of a like burn recovery weird fever dream what was the 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 brandon quote about how how all characters should have delirious fever dreams that was a thing we talked about wasn't it i think the last time spook had a fever dream in this book yes (laughs) so yeah the uh uh the the thing that he realizes as he is is coming awake is that he apparently has a message that he needs to send uh, and then he wakes up and he sees a face, one uh, quite a bit uglier than the face he'd hoped to see. Rude. I yeah. mean, you got, could be your girlfriend, could be Breeze. <laughs> She's not your girlfriend. They talked like three times. Get the spray bottle. Oh my God. The voice here is also the voice in the fever dream. We never get confirmation who it is. It says, good lad, you did well. Part of my assumption is that it's meant to be clubs, but I guess it could also be Kelsier, or maybe it's some other mystery voice. I, I, I don't think it ever gets clarified fourth at all. Voice. It could be a fourth voice. Yeah, we, we definitely, we tune into this scene just a little bit too late to get anything uh, really specific out of that. But I can, I can hear either uh, clubs or Kel saying that, uh, that good lad. I feel like good lad 
feels more like clubs to me, but I don't know. Yeah, but the very first sentence, that's why you absolutely must get that message sent, Spook. That feels more like Kelsier to me. Yeah. Send it flying for me is a little Kelsier-ish. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the lad part is very clubsy. Yeah. Does Maybe Brandon have any annotations on this? It could be both speaking at the same time. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to see. I mean, what the message is might help at all, too, because we, we have yet to get to that. This was revealed to me in a dream. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, at first we have to get through Spook coming back to consciousness because, as we've seen, he was in quite bad shape. Uh, he is apparently you know, considerably um, casted and bandaged. Also, just to go back to the Breeze moment, yeah, it really gets no credit here of quite a bit uglier than the face you'd hope to see. And then we get the detail that Breeze is, like, crying to see that Spook is awake, which is a really sweet moment. And then Spook, like, pushes him aside to be like, ah, Beldra, <laughs> my wife-to-be. <laughs> yeah. Give give Breeze some credit here. But, uh, yeah, he, he asks for uh where is Sazed? Uh and and Breeze explains that he has uh he's gone south uh to try to go find Vin, uh which is exactly the thing that Spook needs to do is get a message to Vin, so not quite the right timing there. Uh we have a, a reappearance of Captain Gordell one uh one more oh, time no. before the end of this book. Good to good to see him again. Too and I appreciate that like I remember who Gordell was. It is funny that he goes on a whole paragraph long thing being like, remember me? I'm the guy that was in the first book and then I became a captain with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I can help. Mm-hmm. He's also, he's been around. Like we've seen him I in know. a fair number of scenes in <laughs> our show. The fact that he like goes all the way on his backstory here, like seven chapters before the end of the book is wild. We have more than seven, but you know what I mean. Yeah, this uh, there's there's increasingly less book in this book. I'm just excited for him to play first fiddle for a bit because he's been second fiddle the all three books so far, basically. Yeah, no, we we've we've talked about how we we appreciate our normies here. Yeah, and I think Gordell might be like one of the the a high tier on that list. <laughs> yeah, it's in the same way. I'm still hoping for uh, I got my fingers crossed for a demo POV. It would be fun to get one. Like we probably won't. He'll probably like show up before we check in on him again. But it'd be. It would be kind of fun to see a little little quick Cordell POV. <laughs> so, yeah, um, Spook is insistent that he has this message to send. Uh, Breeze is trying to make sure that the severe burn victim does not more hurt himself by trying to get up or something. So, you know, we can send that as soon as you're a little more recovered. Uh, but there's there's an urgency here. Uh, and Spook actually does talk about some of the things that he had experienced uh and and says i need to warn vin but uh yeah there there's a, a bit of a back and forth of you know we we can't really get a message out right now and then gordell volunteers and says i'll take it and like we said gives his his explanation of the things that he's been through uh but but he says if vin needs this information i will get it to her or i will die trying and yeah i Let's go, Captain Gordell. Yeah. yeah. I also I don't I don't mean to 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 keep hammering down on this point, but okay, Spook survived. I can deal with that. 
The nature of extremities makes it that I find it very hard to buy. The only part of his body he can move is his hand. That feels <laughs> specifically unrealistic to me, especially because we got the detail as he was dying of, yeah, he would be horrified if he saw what his hands looked like right now. They look especially bad. Yeah, it. I mean, I I will concede that there may be a bit of writerly good luck there, that Spook does need to be able to write this message out, and, and so he can. But yeah, that that would be uh, a, a, a stroke of luck with the injuries he survived. He fell hands first into the pool of water when he keeled over into unconsciousness. Precisely. Just in time him. to save his hand. <laughs> but yeah, the, the last thing that we get here is that uh, Spook is going to send this message etched in metal like the most important things apparently have to be. And we will... Uh, We'll have to see if if we return later for if if that message can get to Vin because it is probably pretty important. Maybe the voice is Quan or Elendi if we're going back through uh, through <gasps> epigraph writers. It's true, but it's specifically he says these words must be written in true. steel and I cannot speak them aloud, which is true. a definite Quan vibe. It's the one piece of information he did give us right away. Yeah. If it is Quan vibes, then he's gonna need Gordel to get like eight more sheets. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was uh, just a, a a very brief check in uh, with Spook, uh, because we are going to be uh, focusing again on uh, Fadrex City for uh, most of the rest of our section here. First, we have uh, another epigraph. Uh, this is going back to uh, the things that the Lord Ruler did when he ascended. Uh, now that we have heard uh, Tensoon mention uh, the the original Ferrochemists and the original Alamancers, we, we hear a little bit about it here from the, the epigraph point of view uh, about how, how this works. Make them Alamancers so that you can keep them hooked. Yeah, it's not, you know, literally a, uh, an addictive procedure, but that amount and that style of power sure does have a, uh, a useful significance to it. And that was the Lord Ruler's fatal flaw. He got high off his own supply. <laughs> so 65 itself, we do return to uh, Fadrex City and we have to see uh, the outcome of Vin's bet here. Is is Ellen going to attack the city? He has prepared to. Uh, he's there with Ham, ready to uh, to to mount an attack, and we're going to we're going to have a moment for a, a bit more philosophy. Uh, Ellen needs a uh, a second check in here, and he's going to ask the the one person he knows can give him all sorts of of musings on the situation. Uh, which Ham does oblige. He he gives a whole, uh, a whole back and forth of this is the right move strategically. Uh, it'll it'll let us try to free Vin. We can't keep the siege going, uh, but also here's these these ethical concerns on attacking a city full of people with a bunch of coloss does seem like a, a major problem, uh, and is is going back and forth to them. But then Ham does the unexpected and comes to a conclusion, which is he no. did it. No, we shouldn't I'm attack. So proud. 
Good job, Ham. And it's such a it's such a a, a pivotal thing that Ellen like. That's it. We're all right. We're not attacking. Yeah, that's the deciding factor. Ham actually does something useful in the book, which I've been waiting for for five hundred ninety-seven <laughs> pages. <laughs> And then now that he's come to that conclusion, he is refusing to elaborate further. <laughs> it's like, listen, man, I know I'll talk myself out of it. We just have to let this one lie. Mm-hmm. Did you actually come to a conclusion? And then Ham just says, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes I did. And Ellen kind of turns it back on. Vin said that he wouldn't attack because he's a better person than she is. And then he thinks, would Vin do this? And and thinks back to uh, the the time that she did do this when she killed 300 people in like 10 minutes. Uh, and the fact that it nearly broke her. And, and he says, no, she wouldn't do this either. And I, I really like that both of them are kind of leaning on each other here, even though they are... Um, split up in this way and yeah. Ellen decides to call off the attack. Set won't say anything about it. What's he gonna do? Bite us? Jeebus, Ellen. Like, <laughs> I, know, I know it's been a rough day, but like that's... Yeah, he's that a little feels, punchy here. Feels insulting. <laughs> yeah, this is the... This scene is great and then the fact that we immediately cut back to Vin it very much reminds me of the whole fairy sequence from the Dark Knight of like Will people sacrifice innocence in order to help themselves? And the Joker's like, yeah, hell yeah, they will. And then Batman's like, no, they won't. And Joker's like, ah, shit, damn it. <laughs> yeah, and and as Ellen gives the order, uh, we go back to into the city of Fadrex and they they see they they see the people pulling back and and Vin realizes that her her bet worked. Ruin says, this is very odd, which is like the most satisfying moment of the entire book so far. Yeah, if you if you get a nearly omnipotent deity who is actively ending the world to if, if you get that past them, you have won something. And now it's time for a, uh, a further episode of Vin making things up as she goes. <laughs> uh, because it is now time to pretend that this was all part of the plan all along. <laughs> gotcha! And, uh, yeah, in in Ruin's current state, uh, he falls for it. Vin is, uh, Vin is, is making up this story of, of course we knew that you were looking for the ATM. We, we knew that you were following me specifically. We were leading you exactly where we wanted to, and and that means that when we want to, we can do something else. And this has made all hell kind of break loose uh, because Ruin is now freaking out, which means that he's going to have Marsh take some drastic action. And in the uh, the the chaos, yeah, there there's all sorts of things breaking loose here, and then. We get a, uh, a a turn, perhaps for the worse here, as now Marsh is going to make Yeoman make an attack, and so there may be a battle anyway. 
Yeah, I was, we'll get to it in a bit, but I was really hoping when an Inquisitor looked Yeoman in the eye and said, the Lord Ruler really is dead, then maybe he would start thinking about things differently, but not nah, for a <laughs> second he's gonna, he's gonna keep drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, this is, there are several levels of kind of feints and misdirections going on here, playing out across uh, the the distance between the two camps, and then also the kind of the the two like levels of existence between the people and then the things that ruin is trying to do uh because now yeoman is attacking uh and now elland is 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 trying to figure out what the hell is going on and says we need to retreat and and gives that order this is so slapstick <laughs> it, it weirdly is like there's there are these entire armies that are like something i mean we, we see just very shortly that things are about to go horribly bloodily wrong and like there's there's armies and weaponry and, and life on the line but it is this kind of like weird speed chess back and forth of both of them trying not to attack yeah i love ham who is just fighting for we shouldn't attack as soon as the battle starts and Alan's like retreat he's like what what we we should be attacking right now. Watching the flood of men pour through the Fadric's gateway. Some stumbled in the deep ash, others pushed their way forward, their charge hampered to a slow crawl. So it's just people like Yeah, it's not even a char like a proper charge. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much like the last Jedi thing of like it's a it's a high stakes chase through space, but whenever they cut to a wide shot of the ships, they're going at like fifteen miles an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this, like, ash seems to be analogous to, like, snow drifts. Mm-hmm. Like, how how much how much damage can you do to somebody when you're fighting them in chest-deep snow? You know? Right. <laughs> like, just silly. Yeah. Uh, for now. Silly yeah, ex- for now. exactly. Right at the at the end of this, this last, uh, we, we switch back to see in Fadrek City one more time. And Yeoman thinks that he's ordered his men to his death. He thinks that he's he's desperately trying to obey the Inquisitors to show his devotion to the Lord Ruler. And then we get one more twist sprung on us. And, and this is one where uh, our heroes are definitely finding themselves in a, in a quite unfortunate situation because all of the Coloss now slip away from the control of Vin and Elland. Uh, not all of them yet. <laughs> Ooh. Well, yes, we we start with all of uh, or a, a significant force of of Ellens and and they begin to fight, which means that there there will be a slaughter after all in this fight as uh as Marsh is now pointing out that hemolurgy is of ruin and you cannot depend on it. He he can take control whenever he wants to. Uh, and the Coloss are now, the, the Coloss are now ruins army. You claim to have been playing with me, child, but it is to you upon whom has been played. Ha ha. <laughs> You're the playee. Yes. <laughs> Which, a- as this is is taking place, Vin is 
actively stealing from him. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Ruin now says, you know, you cannot, you cannot fool me. You can't defeat me. I'm a god. All I need is the ATM, and that's the last piece. Uh, but in all of the, this uh, this chaos here, Vin has managed to swipe one of Marsh's metal vials, sneaks it out of uh, out of the pocket where Marsh is keeping it, takes a, a quick drink, has pewter, is able to to get free, takes the uh, the earring, the one bit of metal she does have access to, and Drelman pushes it right through Marsh's forehead. Ouch. Ow. Mm. <laughs> Marsh is dead. No, my plans. <laughs> but Ruin doesn't have time to think about how Marsh is dead because Ruin had disappeared in the chaos of her escape. Perhaps he was out overseeing the control of the Coloss. You sure about that? You sure about that? You sure about that? That's why Ruin's not here? There's a lot of chaos going on right now. Ruin There's could a be lot. Anywhere. He's got a lot to manage, this god does. Yeah. It's a big deal. Got to go find that ATM. Uh, Yeoman now has uh, has gotten some of the 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 frustrating uh, aspects of uh, of his his personality here, where he is uh, he is insisting that he will not lose faith. He will remain strong and devoted to the Lord Ruler. Uh, as Vin is is begging him to uh, to get him to bring the men back, but. It is, uh, it, it is going to be up to Vin here to, to take this bit of action. Although she does have access, at least for a moment, uh, to her own batch of Coloss. They, uh, that does not last long, as they are very soon taken from her as well. Uh, but she does have a moment to uh, order them to an attack, uh, which... That convinces Yeoman uh, that the Coloss are are out of control and are not some sort of divine army delivered from the Lord Ruler, uh, and maybe they can they can try to to save the city to turn this around. And then it turns out that pushing a bit of metal directly through his brain has not killed Marsh. Marsh is still alive; is still a problem. And is is going after Vin. Marsh is still alive and is still a problem. Is like the arc of his character. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Just <laughs> throughout the series. So we are uh, very briefly going to have a uh, a, a fight between uh, Vin and Marsh here, uh, as the two of them have a, a proper kind of allomantic battle, which we've, it, it's been a while since Vin has been able to do that. And Vin has a, a, a moment of realization of if, if this works on hemallergic constructs like Chandra and Kolos, can I take control of an inquisitor with, uh, with allomancy? And, and she tries and it almost works and does not quite. Not quite enough. But she draws upon the mists. She does draw upon the mists. Look at that. How could she do that? Because Marsh has access to a, uh, a pretty extensive suite of ferrochemical power at this point as well, which means Vin is very much in trouble. And as 
uh, he is is coming to attack. Vin draws upon the powers of the mists, and that is enough alimantic power to actually push through and not take control of Marsh, but at least uh, get enough through uh, that that she can escape. She can ha- she can see this brief glimpse of of ruin inside there, I guess, and then is able to to get out of there. And I am feeling pretty dang confident in my explanation for why she can draw on the mists right now. It would be very oh, funny yeah. if she's like, well, let me think about this time. Let me think about last time. It must be because I'm best friends with Marsh. Marsh was there both times, so it must just be Marsh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Marsh has has now fled after experiencing that. Uh, we, we go back to the other side of the city. Uh, once again... Elland finds himself uh, in a uh, a desperate battle against far too many Coloss, and he's he's able to to make a good stand. You know, we've seen him make this fight just a few chapters ago, uh, but against the entire Coloss force that they've gathered, uh, one Mistborn, I don't think could could ever be enough. But fortunately, uh, we have. Uh, very shortly after, to Mistborn, as Vin is able to make her dramatic appearance. Uh, she was delayed by an Inquisitor and a Dark God, uh, but now they can uh, they can fight. I thought for a second you were going to say, fortunately, a servant brings him a cup of water. I was going to say they have their <laughs> secret weapon of hydration. Hey, it's important. I pause yeah. as I drink some water. Yeah, I love that it specifies Ellen gets a drink of water, and then it also goes, and don't worry, Set's also drinking his water. <laughs> Thank goodness. Hey, kids. We've had a lot of fun here today. Remember to stay hydrated out there on those streets. It's true, on those tough, tough streets of the world. <laughs> world streets. You've heard of them. This bit has gone nowhere. Continue. Yes, I, I'm World going Streets to... Incorporated, our first sponsor. We'd like to talk about World Streets. What? <laughs> I, I'm going to take us to our final chapter of the section. How's that? Excellent. Uh, so our final epigraph is uh, quite a short one. Uh, is going to to talk about the the different uh, hemallergic constructs, uh, and says that inquisitors. It would be very, very difficult for them to resist ruin. Uh, the number of spikes that they have in particular uh, is just is something that would just make it uh, nearly impossible. Uh, and it would take someone of a, a supreme will to be able to resist even slightly. I love that it's a whole epigraph just hyping up Marsh to do something really cool. <laughs> As I wrote in my notes, Inquisitors can't resist ruin because too many spikes, but maybe they can if they're really good. You just gotta be really good at it. In summary, <laughs> be a good be a good person. A good egg. Alright, our, our final chapter of the section is uh, another relatively short one. Uh, as we return to Sazed on his part of this, this journey now, which is a, uh, a somewhat unusual journey. Uh, because he is riding Tensoon. 
Tensoon has uh, they they were they were beginning their their journey, and like the like the battle at Fadrax, the amount of ash in the world is making this extremely impractical. Uh, but it turns out that uh, Tensoon has a, uh, a a conjure a trick or two and makes himself into a very large horse, and then they ride. I'm just picturing the chonker horse from Breath of the Wild. Yes. <laughs> Large boy. Large boy. We also get a very important confirmation to add on to Sam's list. Hogs exist. Hogs <gasps> exist. At least one hog existed. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're extinct now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the last one. <laughs> And whose horse did he eat? Hopefully not Ellen's horse. We Hopefully not Ellen's goes. horse. Then Ellen he would kill him. He ate my horse. Ellen just drops out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> he you ate, ate my horse. Stace <laughs> is like, what the fuck, Ellen? He ate my horse. <laughs> Ellen, but crucially, not Vin, who are the, like, there's now multiple journeys going across this this continent of people trying to meet up with each other. And so far, none of them have been able to. Yeah, if Ellen could be conjured by eating his horse, this book would be a lot easier. <laughs> That's the message Spook is sending out, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a uh, this is a, a journey that is is ongoing. Sazed is able to uh, use the the last of the uh, wakefulness that he has stored to keep himself going on this journey. That would be awfully nice. I wish I could do that. Seriously. Don't forget, you do need to have time to store your sleepy, your wakefulness by being super, super sleepy at some other time to do yes, that. Yes, but you could do that whenever you really wanted to go to bed. Ah. Uh, Unless yes. you have to, like, be awake, but just really tired, and that would suck. And come to well, think I'm of it, used that's to that. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and come to think of it, that's probably how it works. But yeah, during this journey... Tensoon and Sazed get to talk with each other, which means there's vital information being shared for probably the first time ever. Uh, because Tensoon is is talking about some of the ways that the Chondra work. Uh, he he mentions the uh, the blessings, uh, and and uh, in particular his his blessing uh, of potency, uh, and explains that they are. Uh, small spikes like Inquisitors or like Coloss, uh, but that uh, with only two spikes, the Chondra retain uh, their freedom, which is a pretty significant difference at this moment in time when the others are not retaining their freedom. I also like that I was earlier applauding Tensoon's rules lawyering. It's like, I'm not going to tell you everything outright. You have to get it out of me. Now he's just like, eh, fuck it. We got spikes. Here's how many. Here's what they do. Mm-hmm. You started the dialogue tree, so now you just have access to all of it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, as they are, as they're traveling, uh, Tensoon is quite convinced of the way that the prophecies are going to unfold, that they need to be ready uh, to aid the Hero of Ages when she comes, uh, he's a he's quite convinced that it is Vin, uh, and that she will lead an army of Alamancers, uh, and that they will all be saved. Which 
all the, he even specifies all of us, Contra, Human, Inquisitor, Coloss. And then he's also like, yes, they said you're going to have to convince them of something very, very difficult for them to come to terms with, which from context clues suggests it is the all Contra have to kill themselves clause, in which case, I don't know how much saving of Contra will be done if that clause gets like <laughs> yeah. carried out. Yeah, well, we'll see. But as we as we go on a bit further, they have reached the the end of their journey and we get we we've returned one more time to the pits of Hassin, which is also now where the terrorist people ha- are staying and is also now the Chandra homeland. Hey, I had actually been checking the world map and trying to figure out where the homeland could be because it mentions Tensoon heads east from emerging to get to Luthadel. And I once more forgot that, I mean, it's still technically southeast, but I once more forgot that this whole map is just diagonal by one for some reason. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, east of Hatsin is in sort of in Luthadel's direction. So that, that was a slight hint right there, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of fun. Yeah, so we, we return here once again. Tensoon has has gotten Sazed to where he apparently needs to be uh, and is now uh, heading off to go find Vin. And so now we, we follow Sazed uh, as he journeys into the homeland, uh, which is probably a place that no human has been, at least not willingly, I would imagine, in centuries perhaps and Sazed is immediately in full scholar mode here which i i appreciate he's he's still the man that we we have seen uh as as he sees the the fascinating fact that uh Kondra have a whole a whole culture a whole society down here uh, but as our our section ends he says that he is he is Sazed, he is a keeper, and that he needs to go speak with the first generation. Uh, and if he doesn't, then he'll just have to tell everyone what's down here. It's almost a relief to see that, yeah, Sazed knows how to rules lawyer too. Oh yeah. Yep. We we saw we've seen him in some pretty rough places, uh, but he has he has a thing that he can focus on. He's got a, a task, he's got a some new things to discover and, and learn. And he, he is still, I mean, when we first met him, he, he was already talking about how Kelsier rubbed off on him a little too much. And I think that <laughs> that has stuck around. Yeah. And I also, I was just in terms of specifically a human who has not interacted with Contra all that much being asked to deliver a better speech than Tensoon did about why the world needs to be saved by the Contra. I was like, that's a big task to ask. And having this be the first thing says it says, it's like, okay, he might fit in. This this might yeah. be doable. Yeah. Uh, but that is where we wrap up our our section for the episode today. We've seen uh, we've seen some movement. Uh, we we've seen uh, Vin and Ellen reunited in Fadrex amongst the the chaos there. Uh, we've seen ruin. Uh, kind of back and forth with uh, gloating and and saying what the final steps of the plan are and then possibly being tricked and then turning the tables there. Uh, we've seen 
another kind of surprising bit from uh, Spook and the crew in her tow with this message being sent out. Uh, and now we have just two episodes left here. Oh boy. Uh, before we move on too much, there's one final detail I loved of when Tensoon says it, say goodbye, says it says, may our God, uh, what is it? Uh, preserve you. And with the whole like tide of preservation, I thought that was a nice little touch. Absolutely. I, I do the like section that. ends with two characters departing from each other rather than meeting back up. Tied it back into your summary for you. Perfect. Thank you very <laughs> much. Couldn't do it without you. I know. Sam in his notes is uh, somewhat less impressed by the less impressed <laughs> by this bit. Sazed says, wait, then good luck. I roll emoji. <laughs> Seriously. I just want to say good luck and we're all counting on you. <laughs> So, yeah, I like I'm not sure the 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 sections at the end of the episodes get uh get a little less defined as we get to the end of a book uh because we have fewer and fewer people to add to the cast list and more and more predictions maybe paying off and less time to predict. Uh, but we do have two full episodes, so perhaps we do have uh, another another bit to run here. Yeah. Let's jump on in. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I think you usually start us off. Do you have uh, any updated... Last episode, you gave us a, uh, a pretty uh, thorough summary of how you thought uh, this, this was going to, to conclude. Uh, and... So far, nothing is is off track yet, and we did have a fight in Fadrex yeah. that have reunited Vin and Elland. Yeah, nothing's uh, nothing's contradicted here yet. Yet, we'll see. Um, also, I have a probably won't happen, but it would be interesting before okay. we get too much into it. Um, it would be interesting if Yeoman was a Farukimist, uh, because uh, when Vin goes to stumble on upon him, uh, he looks more haggard. Um, maybe because he's expending some pent-up power. He also wears an ATM bead because maybe it's a metal mind. I don't know. Not putting any chips on it, but... Well, okay, I'll put one chip on it. Okay. Not a hundred. I hate to do this, Sam. It would be interesting. That is a theory I've been having for the past three episodes, I think. Oh, well. Okay. Uh, yes, you had down that Yeoman was either um, an ATM misting or... A, a fair chemist of some sort, perhaps with ATM as well. That's what it was. So I I thought it was just the misting part that what was what you settled on. But all right, fair enough. Anyway, here's the thing. Um, I don't know where Caleb's predictions end and the book's plot begins because it's just been so accurate. <laughs> so upset. I you got to remember I'm I'm like a machine gun. I take a lot of shots and then when several of them hit it seems very impressive. I am also getting a lot of them wrong. All right, but yeah. Okay. Um so, uh just reviewing my equalizer shot here. Um first I'm not backing down. No, I won't back down. There's a whole song about that and everything about how it, no back down. I won't back down. Uh Anyway, uh, Marsh is still alive. Um, humans alive, and I think probably going to die in Fadric City. Um, 
I'm not 100% convinced that Fadrix is boned, but I think it's going to take a lot of cooperation to get it working. <laughs> and I still think that my conclusion idea... So the Fadrix, like, stop on my equalizer was, like, yada yada Fadrix. You know, it wasn't... It, <laughs> it was, like, after we get past Fadrix in the it plot... Was, it was not key to the equalizer theory. Exactly, yeah. So, but, um, yep. Uh, and says it is learning more about religion. Um, the idea of there being a correct religion is still kind of weird to me. Um, so now you're thinking to yourself, you're thinking, well, Sam, we're on the, we're on the 15th hole. We're on the, on the fairway, you know, just outside the fringe, a couple sand traps there, the greens up ahead. What do you think? And I say to you, I say, I don't know. I think my ball's on the 17th hole. <laughs> you want me to make a shot it's on the I, I shot it over the stand of trees my ball is out of sight I don't know where it is once we find it oh boy I, I appreciate the extended metaphor here metaphor extends more and more um, so I don't know I'm excited to see things either pay off or for me to fall on my face We'll see. <laughs> okay. One of those two things. But yeah, I'm done. Okay. Uh, yeah, looking then to where uh, Caleb's predictions are standing, the vast number of them, as you, you mentioned, I don't think... Uh, last episode, you did not have... It was your turn for more of a, like, here are some general things that I think are going to happen and not here's the rest of the plot of this book. Um. I had a really cool theory about Spook's Bones, but uh, you I don't did think have that. that and happen. Unfortunately, that is not going to happen. Could still happen. Tensoon gets still... back there. Is like, wait, I need those. <laughs> Tensoon does still have Kelsier's bones. He is still, and there was a bit of a moment where where Sazed was like, "Those must be very important." I'm not going to ask anything further. Anyway, <laughs> those must be important and are definitely not a dear friend of mine that I spent like two years of my life working very closely with before he tragically died honestly the way Sazed's headspace is at he could probably learn those were Kelsier's bones and his thought would be ah I see anyways yeah <laughs> there's a lot going on right now uh, but is there anything specifically in this section that you want to add or modify from your your previous uh previous entries yeah, I got a bit, but there you did, you mentioned it briefly, Justin, but we skipped over an entire segment of this podcast, um, because every single time you say, I don't think we have anyone to add to the cast, there's always someone. Who have you put on this list now? Who? Well, Yeoman has a very important friend named Lelin, and Lelin appears to be, for all intents and purposes, the maps guy. That is which true. Means we cannot one of the skip most over the maps guy. Important characters in the book. Um, so for casting Lelin, you know, I kind of, this guy's kind of a nobody. He's been in almost nothing, but for Lelin, I think I want to cast this guy named Caleb. Um, I feel like he could bring a lot of gravitas to the role and really just sell the audience on this guy just fucking loves his maps. Okay. I'm, I'm all here for it. Also, just to make sure that I wasn't like forgetting a reference or a previous appearance or anything. I double checked the Coppermind. Who, which does have an article on Lelin. Uh, it is two sentences. Good. Uh, Lelin is one of Yeoman's scribes. 
He is a cartographer and has a good deal of maps. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's go. Brandon, I am here for you. When you need to be casting Lelin, I've got you. I've got it on lock. Just make the process easier. I'm here for it. All right. Now that we've concluded our, our casting section for the episode. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say in terms of, you know, some of my theories have been way off. Some of my theories have been right on. Uh, I do I do just want to, you know, make sure that the, the ledger of podcast points is, you know, distributed appropriately um i've wavered a little bit back and forth but i did for uh, for several chapters talk about how i think ruin is after the adium and that has come true definitively um in terms of the exact nature of why he needs it it's still a little bit unclear um but i i talked about how you know reen's voice was telling vin to look for the adium and then as soon as she said out loud there's no Adium here. That's when Ruin showed up because he was waiting to see if there would be Adium there. That all seems to be falling in line with what I was thinking. Um, I do have just kind of, I have a couple of questions again that aren't really theories. Um, one of my big questions was, why would the Lord Ruler keep the Quan thing around if it kind of challenges his rule? Um, I don't really have a ton of uh, uh, insight as to why Lord Ruler would keep it around except for maybe, you know, thinking forward if i ever die it's important someone find this but in terms of why ruin never destroyed it and with the inquisitors it sure makes sense if he can't even fucking read it that he would know that it should be destroyed um so that's that's kind of a fun like looking back it makes sense why that is still around even mm. though it's mm -hmm. contains very um you know information that would shake up the world considerably um there is a uh, uh, Tensoon does note that uh, the Lord Ruler turned every living Farukamist into a Mist Wraith, which does beg the question: How is Farukami still around? If that statement is meant to be taken literally, every single living Farukamist, because um, according to Sazed, it is all genetic and it's based on lineage. So, where where did the current Farukami come from? Um, and then the ones, the, his friends, he turned into uh, Contra by giving them the spikes. So that's just a weird question. I don't know if it has an answer, um, but a weird question I had. And then the additional question of, okay, well, if all of Rashek's buddies got turned into the first generation of Contra, who did eat the beads and become nobility? Was that just like 10 other random guys that Rashek was like, yeah, you guys are cool, get in. Um I don't know if that's a question his, his that will be answered friends. or even one that needs to be answered. But yeah, that's the question I had. Um, I'm still feeling like the whole thing about 1 16th, 16% is about finding 16 medals. It is weird that there are still two mystery ones left, but I remembered we technically kind of have a 15th because of the beads that grant Allomancy in the first place are probably something. Um, so that's probably, you know, maybe the, I don't know which one will be 15th or 16th, but probably that one's the 15th, 16th medal. If it follows the same conventions would maybe take away Allomancy or perhaps take away something's power. So maybe that's, that's, maybe that's important. Maybe that's something. I don't know, but it's going to be important. I feel like that's the case. Um, Sam touched on this a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit disappointed if Sazed's whole faith journey just ends up being, yeah, those 500 other religions aren't true, but the Terrace religion, that's where it's at. Um, 
I was really kind of hoping the true meaning of Christmas would be how each religion is valuable in its own right. And it's important that it gives people hope and, and faith and optimism in times of trouble. And yeah, if, he, if his faith is restored by just being like, they're all full of inconsistencies, except mine. Um, that's going to be a little bit of a bummer, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, not really a theory, just a thought on how I might feel moving forward. Um human will have a role he will do something my guess i think sam said something to the same extent but i think he will save vin's life and then we'll die um because that that just seems you know that feels right um another question i had um because the epigraph writer is the hero of ages and from the first couple epigraphs hasn't been brought up in a while but from the first couple epigraphs strongly implied has also used the power at the well or has gained that power. So how is this not something happening a thousand years from now if it takes that long to regenerate? Um, my kind of random guess is because of the way, you know, God's consciousness versus presence versus body, like that, that whole like trifecta of things works. Um, because preservation's consciousness or, or like human-esque body died, then that since one aspect died, it helps like reboost a different aspect of it. So now the well is back in business or will be shortly um, is my guess of how that's going to work. Um, I am, uh, I, I, I brought it up a second ago. I'm doubling down on my Farouk Mist Yeoman theory. I actually, I don't think it probably won't happen. I think it might very well happen. Um, Cause I do think it could be that he's a misting that burns at him, but I think it's more interesting if he's a Farouk Mist just cause I, I think it'd be cool. Um, and yeah, the fact that the bead has been in contact with his skin the whole time, but we never seen him consume it. Um, I think that that would check out. Um, so that's my thing. I have one actual big boy theory um, because I was talking last episode about how Hathson has to be important. It seems like it's thematically important. And my guess was that's where uh, the body is being hidden. And then I was like, oh no, it's not that. It's actually the homeland. But then I remembered, sometimes a thing can be two things. Um, so I still don't know if Adium is Ruin's body or if it's just important for a different reason. I think there's so little book left that it's pro probably going to have to start converging important things together. So I, I think I am going to kind of stick with my theory that Adium in some form forms Ruin's body. I don't know why or how that works, but that's just kind of my guess. And then... I do also remember most of the time, Justin, when you throw uh, theory making to me and Sam, you just kind of let us go at it. But there is one important time where you asked, do you guys have any ideas what the trust is? I feel like the trust might in fact be Ruin's body and or the Atium cash. Um, I went back to look. It's in the trust Warren. Um, it is covered by a massive steel disc and we know Ruin doesn't like steel. Um, so I feel like, especially with the way Condra talk and the idea of, we have this, this contract, we have the blessings, the idea of calling something the trust. And what that refers to is something that the Lord Ruler has entrusted us to protect. Um, I feel like it all adds up that it's the, the showdown's still going to happen in Hathson because that's where, um, Ruin's body and, or the Atium actually secretly is. So that's what I've got. Well, I can tell you for certain 
right now that you did get something right, which is that things are going to start collapsing together and relating to each other <laughs> and resolving together. And that's it. Yes. Glad you figured it out. One podcast point. <laughs> One podcast point for saying there will be a Sanderlanch. Eh, it's like half <laughs> a podcast point. One quarter portion. <laughs> yeah, I, while we were getting ready for this, I was going through the, the prediction uh, record and checking some things off that had been confirmed. Uh, and there were a bunch that I have I have yet to actually mark on the spreadsheet as confirmed because we have not seen in the book that they were confirmed but there are definitely some more things in there uh that both of you got right so ready to to see the the moment where i can actually say yes that was a thing that you got congratulations here are some large number of podcast points beth are you about to mark pulleys correct I was clicking through some of the things that you were talking about that are correct, and then I saw pulleys, and I was like, I can manifest the pulleys being important as correct. I'm very tired. (laughs) All right, well, uh, yeah, we are heading on to our second to last episode for this book. Uh, That's chapter 67 all the way up through chapter 75, which I think is our highest by chapter count of the the entire trilogy so that will be that will take us almost all the way through the end i i know it is a running joke that i am always excited for the next episode because it's just more of the book and that's cool uh Mm -hmm. but when i when i did the original chapter breakdown uh into episodes for this whole trilogy i think this episode might be the one that i was most excited for so we've got that to live up to. No pressure. <laughs> Some good shit. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything else le- left to do besides wrap this episode up before all of us either fall asleep or start coughing and sneezing. It's a miracle that this episode <laughs> got recorded, y'all. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I can mention that uh, our episodes are found at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, we are contactable at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. If you want to chat about the book or future books, or if you understand that reference that Sam made, or if you'd like to understand that reference that Sam made, any of those things that you can do at our, our email at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at alwaysanotherpod, as well as Instagram at alwaysanotherpod. Uh, we've got some cool things to show off. We've got some polls that you can vote on. Uh, we've got some just utter inane bullshit that spawns from our, our Discord. All of the above. <laughs> but without further ado, I think it is time for us to sign off on uh, the first episode of Part 5 and heading onward to the next episode of Part 5 when you hear from us again. Pam says, say your prayers and drink your water. Drink water. Do we think Pat Hughes would do a guest spot on this podcast? Check if he's on cameo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>